have just been to see Her Majesty the Queen, who has invited me to form a government. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. Iraq collapsing, Syria collapsing, Yemen collapsing, Libya collapsing, and everything else in turmoil. Nothing to do with us. Hey everyone, welcome to Where We Are with Taryn Siegel, the podcast that breaks down what happened in the world in the last seven days and how we got here. On today's episode... It's like you're in a marathon run and you get halfway and you thought you're going to be close to the finish line and the coach says you still you have more to go. I just don't want to wear one myself. It's a recommendation. They recommend it. I'm feeling good. I just don't want to be doing it. It's that. a great question that you ask. It's a fair question that you ask because it has been confusing. In this unprecedented time of global panic and disarray, not to mention an unprecedented amount of time on our hands for some of us, it's not at all surprising that this pandemic has been mired in a lot of mixed or misinformation. The Mythbusters section of the World Health Organization's website has a nice collection. Here's a random sample. Does being able to hold your breath for 10 seconds mean you don't have the new coronavirus? Does drinking alcohol protect you from the virus? Can snow kill the coronavirus? Does taking a hot bath protect you from catching the virus? Can the coronavirus be transmitted through mosquito bites? And my personal favorite, can eating garlic help protect you from the coronavirus? Like it's a vampire or something. Needless to say, the answer to all of these is no. Actually, in the case of the garlic question, WHO did acknowledge that garlic might have some antimicrobial properties, meaning it can stop the growth of some microorganisms. But there's no evidence that anyone has been protected from the new coronavirus by eating garlic. So in light of all the confusion and the misinformation out there, this week I'm going to break down some of the trickier questions surrounding the pandemic. Well, thank you, Mr. President, Mr. Vice President, Mr. Secretary, and CDC Director Redfield. I especially want to thank the folks at the CDC. And it's a great question that you ask. It's a fair question that you ask. I want to unpack the evolution of our guidance on masks because it has been confusing to the American people. So one area of this pandemic that has a surprising amount of mixed messaging is using face masks. Do face masks actually help protect you from the coronavirus? Okay, so the short answer is no. There's a few reasons for this. First of all, the virus enters our bodies through mucous membranes, so our mouth, our nose, or eyes. But the virus isn't like floating around airborne as we leave the house. It's transmitted person to person. So yeah, theoretically, if a person infected with the virus coughed or sneezed on you, you could contract the virus that way. But you can prevent something like that from happening by just abiding by the two meter or six feet social distancing rules much more likely you'll contract the virus by you touching your mucous membranes. So in other words, touching a surface that has the virus and then touching your face. That's why it's more important than anything else to just wash your hands constantly and thoroughly if you want to protect yourself. Obviously, healthcare workers have to wear face masks, but healthcare workers are trained professionals who, one, do a myriad of other things to sanitize themselves in addition to wearing the face mask. 
Two, know how to fit and remove the face masks safely and effectively. And three, are using medical grade face masks that are much more effective than the kind you'd see in the general public. According to the World Health Organization, the only people who should be wearing face masks besides those caring for COVID-19 patients, like healthcare workers, are people who might be COVID-19 patients, so those who have the disease. Now that it's been established that a decent number of cases, up to maybe 25% of cases even, might be totally asymptomatic, meaning the patient doesn't show any symptoms of the disease, the Center for Disease Control in the U.S. over the weekend issued a recommendation to all Americans to wear masks. But again, this isn't to protect you, the mask wearer, from getting the virus. It's to protect others from you. The next question burning on everyone's mind as we sit at home day after day and queue up in two-meter tickers outside grocery stores is, is social distancing actually working? This one is obviously a lot trickier to answer. The short answer here might just be, it's too early to tell. But without getting unreasonably optimistic, there might be signs that it's helping slow the spread already. Uh, there's no doubt that what we've done so far has had an impact. What you have done so far has had an impact. And not a small impact, a big impact. And that's to your credit. So well done. At the same time, there's more to be done. And it's, it's like you're in a marathon run and you get halfway and you wonder if it's, you're there yet and you thought you're going to be close to the finish line and the coach says you're still... Yeah, more to go. That was Ontario's chief medical officer of health. From what we know about this disease, it seems like without any social distancing measures at all, most COVID-19 patients will transmit the disease to three more people on average. Run the math on that and the number of cases soon becomes absolutely staggering. But with much of the world homebound over the past couple of weeks, there's some early evidence that the rate might have already dropped. On Thursday, the medical director for NHS England announced that with these new social distancing measures, the average rate of infection might have dropped from three people on average to below one, which would be a huge change. According to two studies in Washington state, where the first case in the U.S. was reported, social distancing seems to be making a difference in the spread of the disease there. And since New York, the hardest hit area in the U.S. by far, went on lockdown a little over two weeks ago, the day-over-day average increase in cases has dropped. But again, even if it doesn't feel like it, we're only a few weeks into these new isolation measures in most countries. So it's really too early to tell how effective they've been so far. But with half of the world now living under stay-at-home orders, at least the earliest signs of the effectiveness are promising. Well, now researchers with the University of Pittsburgh say they may have a vaccine. Really Johnson & Johnson working on a vaccine that could be available for trial, maybe. With human trials of a vaccine we getting underway. Pennsylvania today revealing what they're calling a potential well, vaccine. We're the fight against COVID-19 this morning with Australian scientists launching the first testing on potential coronavirus vaccines. Sounds good, doesn't it? So the next pressing question is obviously, how close are we to a vaccine? Most medical experts would say we're about 18 months away from a vaccine, and that's assuming there's no major hitches in its development. But that being said, even if it doesn't sound it, that is astoundingly fast. It would be record-breakingly fast. On January 10th, Chinese scientists uploaded the new coronavirus's genetic sequence to a public database. And since then, scientists from around the world have been working on a vaccine. 
Never have scientists around the world worked so collectively and feverishly in the pursuit of one goal. So while nations around the world are justifiably closing their borders, scientists everywhere are collaborating like never before. To give you an example, one morning, a few scientists at the University of Pittsburgh noted some ferrets' reaction to COVID-19 that might prove promising for advancing animal testing of a vaccine. So under normal circumstances, a potential breakthrough like that would mean scrubbing together a prestigious academic paper on the subject and claiming credit for the scientific advancement. Instead, they got on a conference call with WHO and shared their findings with scientists around the world within hours. Right now, there are 35 different companies and academic institutions working on a vaccine. And to speed up the process, these groups are looking at a new way for developing a vaccine. So usually a vaccine is made by taking a fully formed virus, deactivating it with special chemicals, and putting it into the body. So the body reacts to this foreign invader or antigen by creating antibodies. So now your bloodstream has antibodies at the ready if you contract the real virus. But that means researchers have to grow the virus and then safely deactivate it, which can take ages. With the new method, instructions for creating the antigen, the deactivated virus, are sent into our own cells via DNA or RNA strands. And then our own cells mass produce the antigen for us and then mass produce corresponding antibodies. So the end result is the same. We now have powerful antibodies in our bloodstream to fight against the virus if we contract it. But scientists don't need to grow the entire virus themselves, which cuts down on the production time enormously. But on the other hand, the newer the methods are, the more untested the product is, and therefore the more rigorous the clinical trials need to be. So even once something promising is developed, there are three important stages of clinical testing that must be done. So first, introducing the vaccine to a small number of healthy volunteers, just to make sure it doesn't have any serious adverse effects. Next, introducing it to a few hundred infected patients to test the efficacy of the vaccine. And finally, a deployment of the vaccine to thousands of patients to confirm its efficacy. And it should go without saying that most products aren't going to get through all of these stages. They'll have to be eliminated for one reason or another before making it through. And then, once something passes these stages, it still needs to be approved by a country's regulatory board. And only then do you get to the issue of mass producing and mass distributing the product. So this is why vaccines usually take at least a decade to produce. One of the 35 groups, a Boston-based biotech firm called Moderna, is supposed to start human trials very soon, which already shows incredible breakneck speed at addressing this crisis. But there's just no safe way to produce and distribute a vaccine on a timescale shorter than a year. And most experts would put their minimum at a year and a half. Good afternoon and welcome to Downing Street for today's coronavirus press briefing. Here in the UK, there has been talk of a curious shortcut in the wait for a vaccine. On Thursday, Health Secretary Matt Hancock said the government was looking at immunity certificates that could be issued to people who have already contracted COVID-19. Now, blood tests are designed to tell whether people have had the virus and are now immune. 
These tests are done by taking a blood sample and looking for the presence of the right COVID-19 antibodies. These could be, potentially be done at home with a finger prick and deliver results in as little as 20 minutes. We're currently working with nine companies who've offered these tests and evaluating their effectiveness. These antibody tests, blood tests, offer the hope that people who think they've had the disease will know they're immune and can get back to life as much as possible as normal. All the data so far seems to suggest that recovering from the virus does confer immunity on a person, at least in the short term. But in truth, we don't really know for sure. We only became aware of the virus's existence a few months ago. All of our knowledge is new and mostly untested. We're learning as we go. But even if we take it for granted that contracting the virus confers long-standing immunity on a person, there are a lot of obstacles to this idea of so-called immunity passport. First of all, testing for immunity is tricky. The test would check for COVID-19 antibodies in a person's bloodstream. These tests technically already exist. Actually, you can order them online right now. But before you rush out and buy one like the UK government did, they vary hugely in reliability. The British government ordered millions of various antibody tests, but so far they haven't been effective and the government hasn't cleared them for public use. Another problem with these tests is that they should be ideally used about 28 days after the infection. So we've still got weeks to go before they could even be effective on most people, even if the tests were proved to work more reliably. And then there's the issue of immunity certificate fraud. For there to be any legitimacy, you'd have to have a government-issued, government-administered antibody test and certificate. And considering the low testing rate for the coronavirus itself in the UK and other countries like the US, it's hard to imagine that testing for immunization to COVID-19 would be any more widespread or any faster, since it must be a lower priority. For a lot of us, the most pressing question, and also the most difficult to answer, is how long will this lockdown last? How long until businesses will reopen and things will go back to normal? For those countries that did put a timeline on their lockdown, most of them set it at three or four weeks. But countries have already had to extend it if their deadline has approached or is approaching. In the US, for example, after unwisely suggesting that things could go back to normal by Easter, the Trump administration just acknowledged that social distancing rules will have to be extended until April 30th at least. Italy was set to potentially reopen schools this week, but with over 85,000 people currently infected with the disease and thousands of new cases reported every day, that's not going to be possible. It seems clear that the timelines being offered are just optimistic targets that will inevitably get extended once a country comes to the end of it. There's just no way at this point to predict the end or exit strategy. Governments have acknowledged that a lockdown until a vaccine is ready, meaning a lockdown of a year or more, would be economically catastrophic. So there's no reason to fear a timeline that long. So that's basically where we are right now. A month seems overly optimistic and a year seems unreasonably long. But so much has changed just in the past few weeks. It's hard to even imagine where we'll be in another few weeks time. All right, and that's our show. 
tune in next week for another episode of Where We Are with Terrence Eagle. Stay safe, guys. Thank you.